0: This is an ABC podcast. It's not fair. I don't hate sharing with Olive, but she doesn't share with me.
1: At nighttime lately, he has these belt downs at bedtime, and he'll find reasons to be jealous of his sister, and then he'll find reasons to be upset about the state of his bed or his bedroom or the clothes that he's wearing. It just can be something that he's never, ever mentioned to us before and all of a sudden it'll be the worst thing in his life.
0: I'm Maggie Dent and today on Parental as Anything, I'm talking about something that early childhood educators, child psychologists and paediatricians will say is one of the most important aspects for us to understand about child development. Self-regulation is something that most families figure out without even knowing what it's called. But if a child doesn't develop good self-regulation, they may become a teenager who will struggle more with poor choices made in the heat of the moment, unable to manage big, ugly feelings. So we need to get onto it early. Okay, so let's put self-regulation into a context. So I want to tell you about a real family who are having a few problems at bedtime. Now, this real family belongs to my producer, Kim Lester.
1: My eight-year-old son has been tearing up a lot. It'll begin with he doesn't get to pick the book at bedtime, but then it turns into you guys always comfort Olive more when she cries or... You guys haven't told her to drink out of her water bottle properly or, like, he'll find things <laughs> that have nothing to do with it to get really upset about and yeah. I, <laughs> I have learned a lot from you <laughs> and I do try my best but it's frustrating.
0: Okay, let's think about two aspects of his temperament uh, that's happening in this moment, yep, his energy and his tension. So what's happening for him at school? He does
1: long days.
0: He has a great
1: time at school. He has a great time at after-school care, but he doesn't stop. He goes from 9 in the morning until about 5.30 in the afternoon, most days of the week. And then also we live in Canberra. It's cold. And it's, yeah, so he's
0: tired and he's cold. Yeah, classic boy who hasn't actually listened to his body that says that's enough. Yeah. So we all struggle with our energy levels and our tension levels. The ability to manage a reaction to things is learned and we start learning it basically from the moment we're born and little kids aren't very good at it. As a parent, one of your jobs is to teach this capacity and skill to your children. I want to help you understand how to build self-regulation in your kids so they don't grow up to be adults who can't handle big emotions like rage or jealousy or insecurity. This is Self-Regulation 101, and that's what we're talking about today. Dr. Stuart Shanker is the go-to expert on self-regulation and how to build it. So, Dr. Shanker, where do you see parents struggling with understanding their child's
2: emotions? Parents need to understand the difference between misbehaviour and stress behaviour. Their child's not misbehaving. They're not willfully being disobedient. Really, what's happening is they are overloaded. And they need to be. They need to have their stress load reduced. So, with every family that we've worked with, that's where we start. As soon as they understand what a stress behavior is, what it sounds like and looks like, their own stress comes way down. With little guys, they are prone, especially in the toddler years, to acquiring all kinds of maladaptive ways of dealing with the stress. It might be uh, avoidance or getting very manic, very hyper. So pretty much every parent um, you know, is fighting this battle of shifting them from the sort of short-term counterproductive ways of managing stress into much healthier, much more growth-promoting ways of handling stress. If a child is managing stress well, they won't have those impulses or if they do have those impulses, they'll be much less pronounced.
0: What things in a home are really, really simple um, that can help once again lower the you know the the stress levels around a home environment? Really simple, simple things. Can you give me a couple of those?
2: Well, um, let me start off by uh, emphasizing that every single child is different. So what's a negative stress for one child may be a positive for another. You have to find out what is, Overloading your child, and you do that by watching and thinking and reflecting. Now, let me add another complication: uh, the little buggers are changing on you all the time.
0: <laughs> they are.
2: <laughs> what was not a big stress last week is today, uh, and so we have to be flexible. So when we're working with families, you know, we'll start off with some general ideas. Uh, one of the most important things is that sleep is the number one restorative for all kids. And we know a couple of things here. We know, for example, there should be no media, no smartphones, no computers, nothing like this for at least an hour and preferably a couple of hours before bedtime. Uh, One of the things this does is it downregulates the brain naturally so that they have restorative sleep. Then parents will ask us, well, what should we do if, you know, if they're not playing their games or they're not chatting with their friends, what's the alternative? And the number one alternative happens to be reading. Uh, reading is a naturally self-regulating activity. It's listening to gentle music um, with little children nursery uh, nursery uh, rhymes. So we want to work hard, especially with young children, on sleep hygiene so that They enjoy the process of gradually unwinding. And nothing does this as effectively as that quiet time alone with your parent. This is a special moment for them to feel safe and secure. Now we can give you some other examples too that we work on in the home. We like, you know, we're very careful about things like using scented cleaners. Uh, We're careful about clutter. Clutter is very stressful for a child. When we talk about a quiet home, It has to be a home that's visually quiet as well as sound quiet, especially if they have their own bedroom. We want a quiet bedroom. We want a room that gets uh, that is dark at night. Um, And then we can start to experiment with things. We can try things like uh, a weighted blanket, which some children find very soothing. It's all of a sort of trial and error process.
0: That's the reason why we encourage you to have routines in homes, that after dinner, it's bath time, it's reading time, it's bedtime. That takes pressure off their brains as well as our our parents' brains about anticipating what's going to happen next. So chaos and rigidity are the two things we try to avoid, don't we? (laughs) And yet some nights we have both.
3: My son would get particularly stressed by um, smells and sensations, so... Waking up in the mornings, morning's never happy time, and waking up in the morning, walking on the cold tiles of the bathroom floor was always a major, major stress. And also then smells were a big stress. The smell of the toilet, he would find that very distressing. It's like, you know, you can see him about to burst <laughs> and just having a like, you no, please go to the toilet. I think you need to go to the toilet. I don't want to touch the tiles. Ah. So that was always a really big stress.
0: There are hundreds of little things, especially in our little ones, that trigger stress, but they all fall into about five different categories, which you call five domains. Can you explain what the five domains of stressors are and some examples as well, please?
2: The first domain is what you and I have just been talking about, physical. And that's things like sounds, odors, crowds, too many people, um, too much stimulus. The next is emotion. And we have to always remember that emotions can be very frightening for a child or they can become overly excited, overly stimulated. So we want to be careful about exposing them, especially exposing them to emotional stresses before they are ready to handle them. An example would be one family that we saw who had taken their young child to see Harry Potter. And the child was actually eight or nine, but was not developmentally ready for the stress of the movie and, and had you know serious problems. But the next one is a very interesting one. The next domain is cognitive. So a cognitive stress is something that makes extra demands on, on a part of the brain called working memory. And the best example of a cognitive stress is math. <laughs> okay, nothing, enough said. Uh, the next one is uh, social. And if you think about it, uh, school is for children of all ages, children and teens. It is an intensely socially stressful environment. It's nonstop stre- social stresses. And they have to learn how to deal with conflict, how to resolve Uh, relationship breakdowns. Um, They have to learn how to read what other people are thinking and feeling. And finally, prosocial. And prosocial is very important. And that refers to how well the child deals with someone else's distress. A lot of times when a kid looks like they are not sensitive to when someone else is in pain, the problem is actually the opposite, that they feel it too much and they feel it so intensely as their own that they shut down. So we look at these five domains, and what we find is parents tend to jump on one specific stress that leaps out at them, but it's never just one. They're always a combination, a cluster of stresses, and I'll give you one simple example. Uh, Every parent here listening will know that the more tired their child is, the more they will be dealing with emotional stresses the more restored their child is, the more they can, uh, they can deal with emotional problems. So we're always looking at the combination and how these domains interact with each other, how stress in one domain can actually lower the threshold for a stress response in all of the other domains.
0: Okay, so I'll sum that up again. It's physical, emotional, cognitive, social, and prosocial. And most of our everyday experiences and interactions fall into these categories.
2: Absolutely. So um, the problem that you have with a young child is they really can't down, it's called down regulating. They really can't, they can't reduce their stress load on their own. We have to help them. uh, And we do this by being calming and soothing. But here's the key I want to stress for you. The one lesson we've learned here is that parents want to be doing this before there's a meltdown. So we want to learn how to read the signs of when the child is becoming overstressed, not when they are. When they are overstressed, then we're just going to go into soothing mode.
0: And as parents, you can learn to read these signs. For example, their voice might change and go higher. They can get rougher with their toys and things. So what do we do at that point?
2: That's the point where not only do we want to uh, reduce the stress and get them back into that calm zone, but use this as a learning experience so that they themselves, and they can do this from a very young age, can begin to recognize when they are becoming overstressed and what they need to do to bring themselves back down. And maybe what it is is, you know, go into their fort, go into their room and, and, and you know, build a Lego, whatever it is. But the parent will work with the child to find out when they're feeling this way. And we can help them identify the physical sensations, the feeling in their tummy or in their arms, what will bring them back into that state where they are starting to feel calm again.
3: Coping with the stresses probably depends a bit on the day. If I'm feeling tired or in a hurry to get everyone to school and get to work, then you know, start to yell and start to make threats and not be a very good parent. So I guess it's taking that time to think about it and try and be away, try and be organised so there's not that rush to be getting out of the door and try and take a step back to try and see what's going on the bigger picture, try and be the adult.
0: I often talk about roosters and lambs, which are the different temperaments at either end and that our roosters are often the ones that you know, have surges in energy and they can go, you know, get really, really big and out there and sometimes, you know, do really crazy things and jump on people and do silly things to try and, you know, get rid of some of that extra stress they're feeling in their body. Or the lambs may lose it, can't they? <laughs> they become whingy and
2: whiny. You know, Maggie, you really are a farm girl, aren't you? <laughs> I am. There was a principal, I've forgotten his name now, out in uh, WA, and uh, he did this thing where... He said, you know what? Instead of punishing my kids, my boys, when they're rambunctious, I'm going to have them go outside and I'm going to let them climb trees and I'm going to let them rough, you know, roll around, whatever it is that little boys want to do. And guess what? His incidence of bullying basically disappeared. So we were doing the exact wrong thing. If it's a rooster, for God's sake, let it crow get to know this child's temperament.
0: Exactly. And getting to know your child's temperament isn't as hard as you might think. And you need to get to know your child's arousal states. There are four of them, and they involve an understanding of tension and energy. Let's talk about low energy and low tension. When do you want your child to be in that state of low energy and low tension, Dr. Schenker? Um,
2: That's the state we want the kid in before they go to sleep. We want to get them into that low tension state. When they're in low tension, they're not burning much energy, and that's when they have a good sleep. When they wake up, we want them to be in high energy, low tension. This is the kid who wakes up smiling, happy.
0: Oh, don't we love the days that they wake up smiling and happy? You know you're in for a really good day. So Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just have our children to be in either of those spaces? Low energy, low tension, calm and sweet and beautiful, and high energy and low tension, which is smiling and happy. (laughs) But not so much with the other two. Dr. Schenker, one of the other head spaces our kids get into, seriously, is high energy, high tension. Please tell me about that one.
2: This is the state we want the kid in when they are doing hard schoolwork when they are in sports, when they're in high, high energy, high tension, this is when they learn the most when they are at their most productive. Uh, we call it flow. They're in a flow state.
0: Oh, I can still remember teaching year nine ballads after 5,000 times that they've already done it. And they would be really not interested. And so what I'd do is get them to thump on the desk with the iambic pentameter. And before you knew it, we had a class full of kids engaged. And then they'd go off and do their ballad task afterwards because they're in exactly flow. It was fabulous. So that's them in high energy, high tension. Here's the problem I, I worry about. We're seeing far too many children in that fourth state of arousal, which is low energy, high tension.
2: It's when they're in low energy, high tension that we get those problems that you started us off with today. The problems of the negative impulses. That's when the self-control people say, oh, well, you know, you've got to punish this child so they learn how to inhibit it.
0: So it doesn't matter what sorts of negative impulses, you will see it throwing toys, kicking, being nasty, saying mean things. And a lot of people confuse this behaviour with having poor self-control and that's not the case. You just can't expect them to be able to manage or control those impulses. They're coming from a really unconscious place. So what have you learned in your research in the arousal states of children?
2: What we have learned is we got to get them back. We've got to restore the energy. We've got to figure out why are they so spent? Where's all the energy gone? Why are they so tense? What's doing this to them? And we know the answer is stress. So now we've got to figure out as parents, what are the stresses that I should be reducing? Occasionally, I'm not going to worry about it. It's when it becomes chronic that I know I've got to do something for my kid.
0: And I think one of the examples you've given before and you talk about it is that our children kind of need some gas in their tank to be able to have the energy to go in those states. And that, um, and I use the example in, in my seminars that if you've given a child cocoa pops, which is a high sugar and low nutritional kind of breakfast, and possibly a glass of twenty five percent fruit juice, which is mainly just sugar, then they're going to struggle to maintain their energy in our classrooms. Being that farmer's daughter again, that we used to quite often have good old um, eggs and boiled eggs and soldiers. Yeah. But we just are looking for food that is actually got nutritional value, and I know um, that it's very difficult for parents to work that out in our modern world because we get led astray by advertising.
2: Your listeners will be very interested to know that these. high sugar uh, cereals or or fruit drinks, are actually a hidden stressor. And we say that because children can't have too much glucose in their bloodstream. And if it goes up, the body goes into overdrive uh, to get rid of it. And in fact, it takes about four times the amount of energy to get rid of the extra sugar as they would burn if they were, say, playing a game of rugby. So kids have all of these hidden stresses, and now what we want to do is think about not just you know that they're getting enough sleep, that they're getting enough proper nutrition. Exercise is really huge for not just, not just what we mentioned before, burning off energy or whatever. Exercise, one of the things it does is it stimulates the creation of neurochemicals which the brain needs in order to stay balanced. So we want tons of exercise. Now, one of the things I love about Australia is wherever I go, um, people are out with their kids. Everybody's walking, running. So the things that we love are really the things that families do, especially with little kids. They need this family time and it has to be restorative family time, not hyper. Not you know, let's go to something where there's all this noise and junk food, and we find ourselves, you know, uh, giving in and giving them something very sweet just to keep them quiet, but they only want that because they're overstressed. You know I mean it's this this part is the easy part. The hard part is 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 actually that first one recognizing when they are becoming overstressed okay. and that it's not misbehavior, it's stress behavior,
0: okay. So we've recognized the cause and we've recognized that our child won't cope with the stressor because they're in low energy, high tension state of arousal.
2: What, What do we do to soothe them? So we have five steps. First, reframe the behavior. That means see if it's misbehavior or stress behavior. Two, recognize, figure out what are the stresses. Three, reduce those stresses. Four, you have to know what it feels like when you are becoming overstressed. Now, number five is the key for kids today. If you find that you as, let's say, a young teen are becoming overstressed, you know there is something that you're doing that is making you vulnerable so that you're having trouble with the sudden increase in stress. What do you need to start doing so that you remove this kind of vulnerability?
0: I love that and I think this explains one of the strategies I use with my four sons was that we'd often go walk the dog or we'd go for a walk on the beach when things got a bit dodgy and it was very much about not just changing the environment it was about using the body but also that restorative quality around nature and thing as well so that's that's really helpful. Thank you so much for unplugging this big topic so that parents can see, again, that the unique way we learn to manage stress in our lives um, can be seriously helped with a bit more knowledge around it, that children aren't innately bad and naughty. So, Dr. Stuart Shankar, thank you very much for your wonderful insights and time today.
2: My pleasure. I love your laugh,
0: Maggie. (laughs) Okay, Kim, so... Now you've learned all about arousal states. How's bedtime going?
1: It's getting better. I'm now recognising if my son is in that uh, low energy, high tension state and I'm finding ways to soothe him and reframe, which we've talked about in this episode. Um, so first of all, let's sort of recognise the domain and what the stressor might be. So if it's cold, if he's tired, if he's hungry, we try to address that. And... One of the things that we've done to try to reframe is, let's say, for example, there is a fight at bedtime over who chooses the book. Instead of having that fight every night over who chooses the book and who chose the book last night, we say, it's your turn tomorrow night to choose the book. Choose it now and we will put it here and we will read it tomorrow
0: night. What you've worked out is you've removed a stressor.
1: Yes, exactly. And it's cha- it actually has reduced a lot of stress for all of us. I'm surprised that's such a simple solution. Although I'm not surprised because it came from you, Maggie.
0: (laughs) And I can also throw in a suggestion here that we know that music is one of the most beautiful ways of calming us all down, provided the music's lower than a heartbeat. So I'd get get used to playing that sort of music through your house uh, hours before bedtime because that will be supporting that transition state. It actually works on the energy of our, our children's bodies. So, yes! Well done, Kim.
1: Yes, thank you. I've been managing to find that low energy, low tension arousal state in my kids at bedtime. We're getting there. Fantastic. This week.
0: (laughs) So this is all a part of raising kids. I went through it. And so did your parents. The good news is you're probably doing lots of things already that help to develop self regulation in your children. But if you're not quite sure, here are a few more things that you can do most days, if not every day. First one is really be mindful of the routines and the habits that you have around your home. Whether it's, you know, the routine towards sleep, it's meal time, it's getting ready in the morning time. That really helps. This is a biggie. Keep reading to your kids, even if they want the same book for the 750th time. And then maybe try some mindfulness. And some of the things are quite simple. Just keep breathing, keep sighing, and know that's also going to help. And then finally, just remember that not coping in the midst of a meltdown is completely normal for children. And believe it or not, those moments actually help your kids to learn to self-regulate as they get older. And if you want to try some fabulous mindfulness meditations for you and your kids, check out our podcast Mindfully. There's a series just for children. And yours truly is interviewed in the series about creating a calmer home. (sighs) <sighs> Next time, on Parental As Anything, building and navigating friendships.
3: I don't really have a best friend, I just got a lot of great friends.
0: There's just always someone there for you, and if you ever need something, they're there.
2: Because I don't like hanging around with the super sketchy people, so I try to make friends with people who are actually good people.
0: Making friends is really vital for kids, but it doesn't always work out. That's next time on Parental as Anything with me, Maggie Dent.